You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we have fun discussing the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 83rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 414th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, July 5th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud... Banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, who did the This week's banner moment features more promising news from the recruiting trail, where Indiana continues to appear poised to land a strong 2019 class, even though no early commitments have come in yet. On Tuesday, Rivals posted an article in which its four recruiting analysts made their early predictions for where the top 15 five-star players in the class of 2019 will land. There were only two players whose predicted college choice was unanimous, and one of them was Trace Jackson Davis to Indiana. This jibes with all of the public and private chatter out there about Trace, who is also a unanimous selection to Indiana on the 24-7 Sports Crystal Ball currently. Also in that Rivals article that I mentioned, while Trendon Watford and Matt Hurt were predicted for Memphis and Kansas, respectively, in-state forward Keon Brooks had three of four Rivals predictions to Indiana. Another good sign as any potential recruiting class anchored by Jackson Davis and Brooks would be dynamite. Now, in a Rivals follow-up article titled Five Programs That Should Feel the Best About the 2019 Rankings, the five programs listed were Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Indiana, and USC. And that seems like a pretty good list to be a part of. The article begins, quote, Could Romeo Lankford have been just the tip of the iceberg for Indiana on the recruiting trail? Archie Miller has done phenomenal work thus far in Bloomington, but even better days could be ahead for the Hoosiers. It then goes on to list the many five- and high four-star players Indiana is involved with. Now, at some point, the hype of the 2019 recruiting class will have to start turning into commitments. And certainly, we all hope that one of those commitments is DJ Carton, the point guard who visited campus last weekend and seems to have Michigan and Indiana atop his list at the moment. But with only two of the five-star players in the class of 2019 committed anywhere yet, it's not like Indiana is off the pace. Quite the contrary. Everywhere you look... There are signs that patience will be rewarded with more celebrated IU commitments at some point. Excuse me. (laughs) In the meantime, just keep watching the videos that the official IU men's basketball Twitter account keeps putting out. While we all want to land the next big thing, those videos are a nice reminder that the guys we have right now are pretty darn good too. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. My wife is laughing at me right now, by the way, because I'm struggling to talk. <coughs> I've been a little sick. Mute yourself when you cough, Jared. Come on, be a professional. I know. It all I never came thought on you, you always acted like you didn't care about recruiting. You're getting choked up just talking about it. I am. I am. It's very, yeah, very FYI, FYI for, for any people who told me that I've been taking too much time off from the show uh, in tweets last week, Right now, what Jared's doing is why I was off last week. I was sick as well. So. Yes. Sensitive lungs, Ryan Phillips. Sensitive lungs, yes. Okay, thank you, guys. Uh, to my left, he is the Brad Stevens of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He is the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he is one of the world's most renowned bracketologists. It's not Joe Lenardi. It's not Jerry Palm. It is Andy Bottoms from over at Assembly Call. Andy, what is your bottoms line from the past week in Indiana basketball? Well, you know, you talked about those videos and, and some of that, and uh, I will not be talking about Juwan Morgan's trash talking in uh, in basketball inside of a pool, uh, but instead a video that came out earlier announced the arrival of Evan Fitzner. And so while the uh, the freshmen arriving on campus were the subject of another, uh, another video a, a couple weeks back, uh, Fitzner was one guy who wasn't there. It was, uh, sounds like working to finish up some classwork, but, uh, but he was there and his, uh, his arrival 
looked pretty good if you uh and made everybody want to you know set up offense it's going to get him baseline jumpers apparently because he was just draining uh i don't somebody on on inside the hall i think counted up how many he made in a row at the end of the video but uh but he looked he looked good and looked to be a skilled guy who i think when you watch that video obviously they're not uh they're going to make him look as good as possible um it, but uh, I think some interesting things there with you know showing some post moves, showing the ability to step out and make shots, which is really the thing when you looked at him statistically was the most intriguing to begin with. Uh, so to be able to see some of those things and get a first glimpse of him, uh, you know, practicing with the team is uh, is exciting, and to know that everybody's there and on campus and, and ready to get started. And and you can see in some of the other things they put out, some of the bonds that are starting to form and uh, good natured, and maybe in some cases, uh, you know. Uh, maybe not even good nature, just, uh, you know, some good, you know, ribbing and trash talking going on between those guys. I think it's a good thing to see. And uh, hopefully a group that will end up being pretty tight knit and, and one that we'll all uh, look forward to watching here in a few months. And to my right, he's a columnist for the big lead. He's a co-host of the hangover and he has been hired by his childhood friend, Lakers head coach, Luke Walton to be the personal shooting coach for Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson, because literally no one else would take that job. He is Ryan Phillips. Well, I was the Indian Daily Students basketball columnist. I have plenty of problems with Steve Alford. I've never changed a diaper in my life. If you don't agree with me, that's totally fine. You can be wrong. That's fine. Ryan, what is your IU basketball rant this week? Unfortunately, Luke has not called me uh, to take that job, but you know, Luke, we're, we're gonna we're gonna wish it into existence here. Uh, I wanted to mention Thomas Bryant. Speaking of the Lakers, Thomas Bryant was waived by the Los Angeles Lakers this week. They really liked him as a second-round pick last year. He was the 12th pick in the second round. He played a lot in the G League, was a G League All-Star. They really, really liked him, but as part of their moves to open up free agent space, they had to waive him. Um, it was sort of a pro forma move, even though he had a tiny salary. It was just to get space open to bring in guys like LeBron James and some other guys that I think they're still kind of have their eyes on, unfortunately. But it, as was predicted when he was released, uh, when he was waived, he was immediately claimed by the Washington Wizards. And looking at their roster, uh, they've got Jan Mahinmi and really that's it in the post as they've gotten rid of Marcin Gortat and Mike Scott uh, left via free agency. So Thomas Bryant really has a chance to find some minutes there with the Washington Wizards. Unfortunately, he may not play in summer league because he recently sprained his ankle. Uh, but I think that's good news for an Indiana guy. I think we all root for uh, while I loved having him on the Lakers and I thought that he had a really bright future there. He, he could be a steal for Washington as a waiver claim. So that's where you got to focus on on watching uh, Thomas, and hopefully he gets healthy and plays in summer league. All right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, a big piece of schedule news hit on Wednesday, so we will break that down. Then in segments two and three, we continue our off-season player analysis by talking about Al Durham. And in segment four, as usual, we will answer your questions. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, but first, real quick, at least uh, until another coughing fit happens, I want to tell you about two great ways that you can shop online for tickets and for IU gear that also help us out at the same time. Remember these two URLs, iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. Memorize them, bookmark them, because when you use them to buy IU tickets or gear, we actually get paid a commission for referring you. Now, iutickets.shop will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can browse the latest listings on IU basketball tickets and always find the best prices and deals. You can also search for IU football tickets, sports tickets, concert tickets, anything. As long as you use iutickets.shop to get there, we'll get credit. And as a bonus, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $20 back after your first purchase. IUStore.shop, on the other hand, will take you to the official IU online store where they have gear for everyone and everything, from shirts, hats, and jerseys for adults and kids to tailgate gear, office gear, basically you name it, and they've got it. All of the gear that will help you support your Hoosiers and relive your college years. Nostalgia, very powerful emotion. We really, really appreciate you bookmarking and using those URLs because the commissions add up and help us cover the growing costs of running the show. Again, the URLs are iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. That's iutickets.shop and iustore.shop. Thank you. You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's talk about the big schedule news that came out uh, on Wednesday. It was announced that Indiana will play a home-and-home -home with Arkansas. So this year, Sunday, November 18th, the Hoosiers will be in Fayetteville to play the Razorbacks. And then Arkansas will come to Bloomington in the 2019-2020 <clears throat> season. 
And Andy, you know, when you look at what this game is, obviously, you know, it jumps right out. Hey, this is an SEC school, Arkansas, pretty big college basketball brand. They were in the NCAA tournament last year. And, you know, so it seems like it'll be a pretty tough game. But actually, when you look at what Arkansas loses off of last year's team and what they project to be this year, they've got one obviously very good player in Daniel Gafford, who was a 39th rated prospect in the class of 2017 and was very good last year. But they lose a lot. Uh, and uh, I know preseason, according to Bart Torvik's rankings, they're 117th. So maybe not, you know, kind of a vintage Arkansas team, but still should be a solid road test for the Hoosiers early in the season. Yeah, I mean, they lose. They were very reliant last year on on a handful on three senior guards, Jalen Barford, Daryl Macon and uh, and Anton Beard. And all three of those guys are gone. They basically have just two guys back who who scored over a point and a half per game. So Gafford is the you know the one that you mentioned. Um, a really good rebounder and shot blocker and and shot really well. I wonder how he'll do with a, a, a bunch of new guys trying to get him the ball. But they have a, a large recruiting class um, from a quantity standpoint and then a, a New Mexico transfer that's eligible this year that'll help them a bit in the backcourt. But it feels like, um, one, you know, always good from an RPI perspective to be able to get a road win, which it feels like while I use also integrating a lot of new pieces, if there was a year to go into what is, is traditionally a tough place to play, um, this feels like a pretty good one. Um, and, and you never know. And it's going to be early enough in the season where still going to be a lot of, of pieces for, for Arkansas that, that may have yet to gel. So if there's a good time to go in there, I think that's probably it. And that will help. Um, I would say they're going to end up being projected toward the lower end of the SEC, but I think you can still, you know, unless a team is just really far below everybody else in a, in a major conference, um, it's hard for for those teams to get really low RPIs. And I think when when you think about the cutoffs and how the new quadrant system works with how you know road wins are you know bumped up a little bit in importance, I think it's got a chance if IU can win um, to be one that they can point to. And, and maybe it's a case where Arkansas gets better by the end of the year and, and the win looks better later in the year than it than it might at the beginning. You know, and, and the other thing about this, so so this is actually part of one of those uh, four-game exempt events, and so also included in there is UT Arlington, UC Davis, and Montana State. And while Arkansas is the headliner, UC Davis actually projects to be the best of the four teams. Uh, last year, they were 129th in Ken Palm. This year, preseason uh, on the T-rank, they are number 80. So they're actually much higher uh, than Arkansas, while UT Arlington and Montana State, both preseason you know, down in the 250s, 270s. So, Andy, that's another game not to overlook when it comes to how these games will impact Indiana's strength of schedule. Yeah, they should be one of the better teams in the Big West. Uh, they, they played well in that. They finished 12 and 4 in that league last year. Um, and I think we're, I think we're maybe a co champion and it may have won it outright. So, and, and so that's tends to be a pretty good league, a good middle of the pack league. I feel like we talk about those kinds of things a lot when we're talking about you want to schedule a little bit you want to schedule the league and and that one tends to be one that's always in that middle area of uh of rankings in ken palm so likely to be it's certainly one that won't hurt you and and you know a, a a reasonably good rpi win maybe they sneak their way into the rpi top 100 and that's helpful but yeah they of the other teams that are in it seem to be the one that's most positioned to be successful uh next season as as opposed to the other two who lose quite a bit so as we look big picture now at the schedule, and one of the promises of the Archie Miller era was that Indiana would schedule better, that the non-conference schedule would be beefier. It's even in Archie's contract <laughs> that the non-conference schedule would be better. And Ryan, when you look at it now, you know, just, and these are, again, the preseason uh, rankings by our friend Bart Torvik, you know, number five, Duke, number 30, Marquette, number 31, Louisville, number 46, Butler, number 80, UC Davis, number 117, Arkansas. So there's still a couple games to fill in. You know, plus then, you know, what you're going to get against the Big Ten. But this is shaping up to be a pretty well-rounded non-conference schedule that's going to provide some high-end challenges and opportunities like the Duke game, but also in games against the UC Davises and Arkansas's, you know, solid games where if Indiana doesn't bring their A-minus, B-plus game, they could really be in for a fight. And the kind of games that just based on the numbers aren't going to hurt you like we've seen happen so many times before. What I really like to see so far is that there are different types of teams on that schedule. You're going to have experience playing different types of, of, of squads. Duke is just going to be ridiculously talented. Marquette is all outside shooting uh, and up-tempo. Louisville, classic, muck it up, make it rough, have athleticism and size, but make it really a rough defensive-style game. UC Davis and UT Arlington are going to play well, UC Davis specifically is going to play very tight, very, 
you know, they're, they're going to come at you like you're the big dog and they need to take you down. And then Arkansas plays that uh, old Nolan Richardson style press where they just eat you up for the entire floor for the entire game. Uh, I, I like that there are different challenges. Butler, of course, is in there as well. I, I really like that there are different challenges on that schedule because when you get into a tournament setting, you're going to have to face different types of teams. It's not all going to be Big Ten style basketball or SEC style basketball or whatever. You're going to have to face different types of teams and having experience against different types of teams and being able to prove that you're versatile enough to go up against different types of teams will give you confidence moving forward. So I think having a, a schedule like that is great for the long-term success of the team and the confidence of the team when it moves forward towards the end of the year. Yep. All righty. Coming up, we continue with our off-season player-by-player analysis and talk Al Durham. He played more than anyone expected as a freshman. What will his role be as a sophomore with two new highly touted freshmen in the backcourt? We will discuss. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of assembly call radio there are two great ways to catch up you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts just search for assembly call or you can watch our live video broadcast on thursday nights and participate in the live chat on youtube and when you watch on youtube for better or worse you get all of the between segment banner that doesn't make it into the radio or podcast edit which on a recent episode included ryan angrily lashing out at coach tonsoni clearly jealous that coach won the fan vote for our iu draft 90 percent of his basketball opinions are moronic oh that's hurtful <laughs> subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call i am jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips and we continue our player-by-player off-season breakdown this week talking about al durham and so guys i want to start by just uh, reflecting on Al's freshman season. And, you know, you'll recall, he came in not as a very highly touted recruit, you know, down in the 230s, the 240s, but ended up playing a lot in the beginning of the season and really had a fast start. You know, he didn't commit uh, more than one turnover in a game until December 9th at Louisville uh, and was playing a lot of minutes. He was one of the team leaders in minutes, uh, you know, through those first 10, 11 games, was 8 of 21 from downtown, which was 38%, and played at least 21 minutes in every game but the Indiana State game. But that Louisville game really represented, you know, kind of a turning point for Al. He did not have a, a good one in that game. He had five turnovers in that game. And from that point forward, he then had four games with multiple turnovers, shot just 22% from downtown, only played 20 minutes in five more games. And while he did end the year making 10 of 10 from the line against Rutgers, there were many fewer highlights and, and big plays than what he showed, you know, kind of during that first month that got everybody excited. So, you know, Andy, I think as you reflect on his freshman season, it was definitely a success given the expectations entering the season. But it is important to remember the context of some of the teams that he feasted on early in the season and then some of the struggles that he had when the competition ratcheted up from that Louisville game onward. Yeah, it was interesting looking back. You know, it's one of those where in my head I, I, you know, remembered him getting off to a good start and really being better, I think, than what a lot of people thought right out of the gate. And and the numbers, as you described, kind of back that up. He scored, you know, at least six points in his first six games and then only did that five times the rest of the season. So not that scoring is everything, um, but certainly gives you some, you know, some kind of indication of, uh, of that. And, and, you know, you did see some growth though, but then by the end of the season, you know, four of the last six, he scores at least seven points. Um, but sandwiched in between a couple, you know, strong performances were, you know, two games where he didn't score at all. Uh, so I think it was just kind of an up and down and, and, and somewhat a typical freshman season, particularly from a guy, um, not rated all that highly by a lot of the recruiting services and things like that. And, and it's one of those where certainly the opponents factored in, uh, to the beginning of the year, but I think also the fact that, you know, teams start to get, you know, tape on him and understand what he likes to do, uh, and really start to take those things away as you, as you got further into the season and forced him to adjust a little bit and be able to find, you know, different ways to contribute, different ways to score. Uh, and I think that's something for, you know, a lot of freshmen, his position becomes, um, becomes difficult, but you still would see those flashes at times. And I think, um, you know, he's the perfect example of a, a guy that you look at and say, you know, as a four-year guy, this is really going to be, uh, you know, somebody who you watch grow over the course of time. And I, I would expect him to make a pretty big jump from his freshman to his sophomore season. 
Ryan, your general reflections on Al's freshman year. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to Al. It's going to come down to shooting and attacking the basket. Those are the two things that have to improve because he's aggressive enough to get those things done, certainly, but to improve. And, and this is just some of the warts we saw as a freshman where he's got to be able to control the ball when he gets to the hoop and when he attacks. because He's got the length to go up against guys when he's attacking. And we, we all love that little right-handed floater he has, even though he's a lefty. But his jump shot has to get better. He shot 28.6% from three, and that's not acceptable when you're playing a guard you know it just isn't and he only shot 40.9 percent from the field he did shoot 71.4 percent from the free throw line which is for that team was fantastic uh, considering how awful they were from the free throw line but what he's great at is defense Uh, he plays well defensively he locks down he has very long arms as i mentioned which helps him he deflects a lot of passes he's a pest those things are all great but you've got to have a two-way game and you've got to be able to attack on offense and not be a guy like a Zach McRoberts who gets left out there wide open by the opposing team because it, it you know it puts you in a lot of unbalanced lineups. So he's going to have to work on that offensive game. I'm sure that's what he's been doing all offseason, but it, it's he's got to put it into practice, especially now as it's, it's going to be a crowded backcourt. And I know that that was a big question mark when the season ended before Romeo Langford committed and, and 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 all the all that other stuff happened, but I personally think it's going to be a pretty crowded backcourt this year, and he's got to be able to find a way to get on the floor, and he's only going to get on the floor if he can do things. You know, he'll get on the floor for his defense, but he's only going to stay on the floor if he can do both. So I, I think this is a talented team, and, and he's going to have to improve to find minutes this year. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips breaking down Al Durham. So let's talk about some strengths and weaknesses here. And you guys mentioned some of the numbers, uh, you know, Ryan, to go along with the 71% uh, free throw shooting. He also got to the line a lot. His free throw rate of 48.7%, to put it into context, was just 1% less than Juwan's. And you think about how often Juwan was getting to the line. That's, a, you know, that is one of Al's strengths is he can get it. You know, he can, he can drive, he can get into the teeth of the defense, and he can draw contact. And if he can make free throws at that rate, that is going to help him score efficiently, you know, when maybe his jump shot isn't falling so much. You know, and I think you look at, Andy, you know, one of the strengths that, that jumps out that you think is kind of obvious is that turnover rate of 17.6% was the best among IU guards last year. So even with some of his struggles later in the season, that was still a good number for obviously a program that has really struggled with turnovers. But it was combined with an assist rate of 11.9% that was by far the lowest of the guards and one of the lowest on the team. And so, you know, I think what you get with Al is a guy who doesn't make a ton of just really bad passes, really bad mistakes, but he's also not really creating a ton. And sometimes that is just kind of reticence out there on the perimeter to really do something, to make a play. And so, again, you know, you might deal with a little bit higher turnover rate if he's creating for other guys, getting some assists. You know, think about, you know, Devontae Green and what he brings to the table. So I think that's something to look for as Al now progresses into his sophomore season is can he keep that turnover rate down and continue to make that a strength while improving one of his weaknesses, which now when you're playing on a team with guys like, you know, Romeo Langford and a shooter like Evan Fitzner and some of the other guys Indiana has, there should be more opportunities for him to drive and kick. And that was not something that he was very good at last year. He was good at driving, you know, even using the pick and roll, you know, and getting to the basket and doing some of those things. He was not good at driving with his head up and finding the open man. Well, and I think when you look at those numbers together, it, it it kind of underscores one of the things that's hard to figure out about him, and that's really what his role will be going forward. I know we're going to talk about that more later, but he's not a guy who's a true point guard. I think those numbers, the, the, the creation stuff that you talk about would really suggest that. But then some of the shooting um, you know, questions that Ryan mentioned you know, kind of push you away from from profiling him as a, as a shooting guard. So he kind of sits in this combo guard status. And so you're just trying to figure out what he can really become. I do think because he's a guy who, who showed some aggressiveness at attacking the basket feels like he should be a guy that's able to create for others in terms of drawing defensive uh, attention. And I think some of his, you know, the floaters and things like that, that he was able to do in the lane show that he, you know, has some ability to finish. So can he draw the defense and kick it to people maybe in a way that last year was not successful because you didn't have a lot of guys who could knock down the shots that were that may have been on the other end of those passes. It's it's hard to kind of measure that piece good of point. it where maybe there were good decisions that were made, but nobody nobody could <laughs> finish the shot. So um, I do think there's something there, and I think this year's team may give you a better idea of what his you know kind of ultimate 
position ultimate role is going forward in a different way than than maybe last year's personnel would would allow you to to make a any kind of semi definitive claim as to where he really fits. Ryan, you want to go? Well, I just wanted to say that I think that one of the things that Al has to get really good at is finding guys in the paint when he gets into the paint, as opposed to, you know, we're talking about driving kick and hitting shots and all that stuff. But, you know, if he can split the defense at the top of the key, get into the paint and find Juwan Morgan down low, can find Fitzner, I guess, if he's there, Race Thompson, whoever, Justin Smith, if he can find them in the paint, I think that's a really valuable thing because, again, with that length, he's going to be able to get above the defense when he gets up in the air. If he can't finish, find someone, dish it off. really what he needs to do is, especially if he's going to be struggling shooting and going to be struggling finishing, you mentioned that he gets fouled a lot. How often is he finishing through contact, though? And and with those field goal percentages, it can't be very high. And and so I think that he's got to also be able to locate his teammates in the paint, on the perimeter, wherever, and, and make sure he's getting them involved and make sure he, when he can't finish, if he's not, you know, shooting or scoring that he's making the extra pass to get other people involved so you know we've spent a lot of time talking about the offense and this is kind of you know what we did with zach mcroberts last week too you, know, you talk about the offense and what can improve offensively what is going to get al durham on the court is his defense and i was surprised you know when i went and looked at the numbers at synergy defensively just you know in terms of his percentages they were very similar to zach mcroberts actually so you look at his overall defense in 156 possessions where he you know guarded the man that you know took a shot or turned it over basically that ended the possession his man scored 0.66 points per possession that was in the 93rd percentile nationally and that's what he did as a freshman and he was especially good at defending at defending players who were spotting up and this was a weakness of indiana's defense last year you know think about how many times indiana had trouble recovering to a shooter or got blown by and defending guys who were spotting up Al was in the 94th percentile, really good at defending jump shots, good at defending guys who were driving right or left. So he really showed good defensive instincts, pretty good understanding of the system as the season went along, and a good ability you know, to not do the fake hustle like Coach Tonsoni talks about, but really close out well on guys and force them into a difficult shot or a difficult movement. And so you know, we got this question from Matt and Slack, and Ryan, I think it's a good one. He says, how quickly can Al Durham cross the Robert Johnson bar when it comes to defending the opponent's best perimeter player? Now, Robert Johnson was one of the best defenders in the Big Ten and a senior. I don't think anybody expects that. But I do think Al offers a lot of value this year as a defender. And I think he's not going to be a guy who starts probably, but I think he will get a lot of time off the bench and come in and probably end up guarding one of the opponent's best players out there on the perimeter. I think that's fair, certainly, that he would that he would get the toughest assignment. I mean, just his build uh, at 6'4 and having those long arms, I think it makes the most sense, even if he wasn't very good. Uh, but he is good, you know? So I think that you've got to use him in that way. What's going to, and as we mentioned though, what's going to keep him on the floor, because I think there are going to be several good defenders on this team. What's going to keep him on the floor is the way he plays it, the way he plays on the other end, because you can't just be giving up possessions on the other end. You've got to be able to have somebody who can contribute offensively as well. Andy, are you okay with someone mentioning Al Durham in the same sentence as Robert Johnson? I think, what you would see yeah yes i am i guess okay. this is a short answer. and i think <laughs> that was a joke just to be clear <laughs> i know i no i'm gonna give you a serious answer though uh no <laughs> I, you know but i think about those are some of the things that robert was really asked to do early on though when he was you know he wasn't asked to shoulder as much an offensive load and that's you know one of the things we talked about last year he would kind of get worn down trying to do all the things that he was being asked to do um but i think in a scenario where Al, while you want him to be able to contribute offensively, whether that's creating for others or scoring, that's not the primary thing that you really want from him. And I think that those are some of the things that early on in Robert Johnson's career, you know, he could just go out and really focus on, you know, playing defense and some of those kinds of things. So I do think you could see it. I do think there's a, a parallel to be had in that regard. All righty. Uh, coming up here on the assembly call, we are going to continue our offseason breakdown of Al Durham. We've talked about some of the strengths, talked about some of the weaknesses. We'll talk a little bit more about how he fits, uh, what the lineups will be like when he gets in there, what he needs to improve on the most. And plus, I've got an outside-the-box comparison that Andy and Ryan are sure to shoot down. I'll give you that. That's next. Stick with us.
Welcome back. You are listening to The Assembly Call. So here is a little fun fact for you. We have over 5,700 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our email newsletter. There's a high-level operation going on out there. And you can join, too. It is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. You will get our weekly six-banner Sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Again, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join for free today. Make no excuses. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we are finishing up our analysis of Al Durham. So we just talked about you know his strengths, his weaknesses, some of the stats, you know, kind of the up and down season that he had as a freshman. Uh, Andy, as you look at Al and his role this year, where do you see him, you know, kind of fitting in? I know one of the questions that that we've been getting that we got from several people today is, you know, they kind of feel like Al is a potential breakout candidate and they feel like he is getting lost in the shuffle. We talk about Devontae Green kind of being the guy that we expect to start. And then Robert Finnessy is the obvious, you know, guy to kind of be his backup. And we know Romeo is going to play a ton. And Al is at times a bit of an afterthought in the backcourt. Do you think that is fair? Or, I mean, do you think that it's really kind of a four-man backcourt and he'll play, you know, 45, 50% of the minutes this year? How do you kind of see that playing out? Yeah, it's it's a hard one to try to figure out because most of the lineups that we've talked about kind of end up being a little bit bigger where you're going to play, you know, Romeo at the two and, um, you know, a, a relatively you know good-sized front court And I think if... Al's going to play a lot of minutes in that if that if that line if those kind of core lineup construction things tend to be the case then his minutes would be dictated by Romeo needing a break or him really inserting himself as a potential point guard um either due to himself playing well or one of the other guys not not playing as well um if you if you look at maybe he could be a you know wing defender or and and maybe let Romeo slide to the you know, to the three or you play more of a three guard um, type lineup, then I think he's got a, an easier path to minutes. So I think it, to a certain extent, it depends how well the, the big guys play and what and how what they can do defensively. I, I do think um, based on some of what he showed as a freshman, uh, he's been kind of an easy guy to pass over because the, you know, kind of shiny new thing with all the new guys coming in, make it easy to look past him. Um, and he certainly strikes me as a guy. I just think back to an interview you did with him uh, I don't remember whether it was on, you know, assembly call or it was on um, podcast on the brink, but it, you know, struck me even then thinking back to that conversation as a guy who really wants to work hard and get better. And um, you know, Cliff Marshall, you know, had tweeted that out last week. I think I even referenced it on the show. You know how he was in really working on his shot and some of those things. So uh, by no means do I count him out of of playing his way into that forty to fifty percent of minutes. Um, it's just really hard to project that going forward. And I think part of that goes back to what I said in the you know, last segment where it's not really clear what his true position is. Um, and it makes it a little bit harder to figure out how he slots in. Ryan, how do you kind of view Al in the long term? I and mean, he's got three more years at Indiana. I mean, we spent some time talking about him this year. But big picture, what kind of player do you think he can become? It's really going to be rough next season to find him finding his way into the lineup. And I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying it's, it's as you've said, Devontae Green, Romeo seem to be the starting lineup. Then you've got, you know, uh, uh, a second unit of, of Robert Finnessy and potentially even Zach McRoberts playing some shooting guard. Where does that leave out? Well, I, I think Archie Miller doesn't really go with a two guards, two forwards, one center lineup. I think he's just kind of, a couple perimeter guys and a couple post guys. I, I really don't, I really think he's got lineups that can, that are sort of fluid. And I think he'll be able to find a way to get on the court with that second unit. And, and I think that it's going to depend. We've seen guys get in foul trouble, guys get injured, guys, whatever. And I think that his fortunes will ebb and flow as far as that goes with those reasons. You know, if a guy gets hurt, he'll certainly be somebody in the mix. But I, I think that he's a guy who, can certainly contribute defensively. And I think that that's going to get him on the floor, as we've said with Archie. But he's, as, as I've mentioned, I feel like a broken record. He's going to have to contribute more offensively because I think that the last year defense could get alone, could get him on the floor. This year, I think there's enough talent that he's going to have to up his game all the way around to stay on the floor once he gets there. Yeah. 
And for for me, I think I, I think back to some of the conversations we had leading into last season, and I think we said this about Freddie McSwain, where it was it was somewhat unclear what his role was going to be, and I don't think any of us probably saw it growing into what it was by the end of the season. But I think a comment we frequently made about him was there will be games that he's going to help you win over the course of the season. While it's hard to predict which ones, and there's some games he's not going to play a lot, there are other games where he's going to come in and give you a contribution that you can look back and say was the difference in in winning or losing a game. And I would 100% say the same thing about Al this year because I think certain matchups will dictate he can do some things defensively. Uh, and I think he'll show enough flashes on offense where there will be games that we'll look back on and say the same thing about him. It's just hard to say game to game uh, what that might look like uh, at this point. And maybe even in the middle of next season, we, we may not have a great idea of that. But I think he's going to play uh, enough. And when he's got things rolling, he's going to be a, an important contributor. And there may be games where he might only play you know, five, six, eight minutes. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. We are finishing up our breakdown of Al Durham. So I said that I had a comparison for Al. And, you know, I think some of the comparisons in terms of how he plays, those are pretty obvious. And we've talked about some of those before. You know, you can see a little bit of Stan Robinson in him. There's, you know, I saw someone on Twitter that, you know, said maybe he's a little bit like Remy Abel. And that's fine. Like all of those are fine comparisons. But as I was thinking about Al in preparation for this episode, one name kept kind of coming up and I was like no 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 that's silly that that can't be a real comparison but the more I thought about it the more it made sense to me and so I want to throw it out to you guys and I know that in basketball you're not supposed to compare guys that are a different races and b guys that play different positions but I'm going to do it anyway and so the guy who kept coming to mind as I thought about Al what he could contribute this year and kind of what his role can be in the program going forward I thought a lot about Derek Elston and you know you, you look at those two guys. Neither one was a really highly ranked recruit. Al was you know 230th. Derek was 133rd. They both played good minutes as freshmen. Al played 46.5% of the minutes. Derek played 37.4% of the minutes. And you know they had some particular skills. Al, a good defender, you know, good measurables for his position, you know, can attack off the dribble, that kind of thing. Derek was a good rebounder, good defender, a good spot-up shooter. What was interesting about Derek's career is, you know, he came in on that team that wasn't very good, you know, with the recruiting class of Jordan Holes and Christian Watford and those guys, played all those minutes, and then his minutes decreased the rest of his time at IU, and obviously he wasn't able to play on the, the 2013 team, but you talk to anybody that was around those teams, and they talk about how important he was to rebuilding the culture of IU basketball, and now he's the director of player development, you know, under a coach that isn't the guy who brought him to Indiana, but just a guy who loved being an Indiana Hoosier, has continued to give his all to the program, and is a really important member whose contributions, even when he was a player, went way beyond what he did on the court. And I kind of think that's how Al could be. You know, he's a guy who just gobbled up his Indiana offer when it came and has seemed just to love being a Hoosier ever since, even though he's from Georgia, isn't from Indiana. And I could see him being a guy, as the talent goes up, who doesn't play as many minutes as he did as a freshman. But Andy, like you said, just like Elston did, you know, would come in and make big plays in big games, you know, winning plays that would help you win some of those important games. I could see Al being that guy, being a steadying influence as younger, maybe more talented players come in, but a guy that shows you how Archie wants it done. That is kind of that bridge in terms of building the culture. And hopefully once Archie gets it built, he you know sustains it better than Tom Crean did. But that's the name that kept coming to me as a guy who may be unheralded for what he does on the court, but who I think is really going to mean a lot to the program in terms of intangibles, in terms of leadership. And because of those particular skills is going to make some impactful uh, plays on the floor that are going to help you win games. Um, so let me now turn that over to you and you guys can tell me how crazy of a comparison that is. Ryan, if you'd like to go first. You're crazy. <laughs> no, the basic elements are good. But when you say like, I'm going to compare him to a player, we're thinking, oh, okay, the kind of player he was on the court. Not, you know, that he had an impact on the, pro come on. Morris, yeah, but that, but that, okay, but that kind of comparison, I don't think is that fun. And we've done that, like with Stan and some of the obvious. Choices. Yeah, he's Stan Robinson. Let's face it. He's, he's, okay, he's but, not gonna, but but he's I think, but, what, but the point I'm making is a guy can be more than just what he does on the court. You know, like I think his impact can be more important than that. So I of just, of course, it I, can. You okay. just kind of misled us as to what you were doing, and you wanted no, to throw a curveball. No, it's just a uh -huh. different kind of comparison. Uh huh. Not sure. Whatever. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> 
No, I just I, I I get what you're saying, of course, and and we all love Derek Elston what he did. I think Al's a guy who wants to play though, and he's gonna he's gonna carve time out for himself. And I don't think it's gonna be this smooth situation if he's not getting on the court. I think he wants to get on the court. That's the reason he's at Indiana. He's but everybody wants dude. to get on the court though. Well, yeah, but he's a confident dude who just based on his comments, I mean. This is a dude who wants to play, and 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 that's his priority. His priority, and and I'm not saying he's not good in the with his te- teammates or good in the facility or whatever. But it felt like Derek Elston, his biggest contributions came off the floor, whereas I think Al's biggest contributions are going to be on the floor, and and I think that he wants to prove that. And I could see him having a rough go as a sophomore, but then playing a lot as a junior or senior. So, I mean, when we talk about having, you know, a rough situation maybe next year because of the way things shake out on this roster, I could certainly have see him taking a downturn in minutes next year. And then as a junior and senior, having that pipe back up a little bit when certain players are gone. So we'll see. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying about about wanting to have contributions that maybe don't show up in the stat line or in the box score. Uh, but I, I do think there are some differences there. Andy, yeah. you, you can. Well, uh, no. I. <laughs> well, you know what I what I would say. Um, I don't I don't know that I that's anything different than than Ryan did. I'm not going to say that you misled us, but uh, uh, I I think I think this year becomes a really make or break is probably putting it too strongly, um, but I do think if he is really able to carve out a role on this team, given the roster construction and some of those kinds of things, I think it really bodes well to to kind of break above that comparison that you made from a, a minute standpoint i yeah. think if not i i think you can start to worry that does he start to get lost in the shuffle as you've got new guys coming in and different things that you're doing um so i think this year will be a challenging year for him to get minutes for some of the reasons we talked about before without really knowing what the you know lineups will look like and things like that but i think if he's able to really carve out a role on this year's team and be able to be a guy who, you know, plays 15, 18, 20 minutes a game. I think that bodes really well for what he, he can be. And I think he's able to shed that comparison and, and see those minutes continue to grow. If not, I think it becomes a little bit hard to project what he looks like, you know, going forward the last two years of his career. Okay. And I agree. And I should say, I hope he busts that comparison out of the water. I certainly hope he doesn't deal with any of the injury issues that Derek Elston dealt with. I guess my point is, you know, if maybe the worst case scenario comes for him in terms of playing and not playing as much as he wants, he strikes me as a guy with enough maturity and enough just love for being a Hoosier and just a team first attitude that I think he'll be a positive no matter what. So I guess that's kind of the main point that I wanted to make with the comparison. And uh, we'll leave that here since it was clearly voted down. But I tried. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up in our final segment, we will answer your questions, which we always love to do. And this week, that includes an interesting one from Brandon, who says, would a team full of pro ball Hoosiers have a shot at winning the depleted NBA Eastern Conference? We will analyze that and more coming up next. Stick with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I'm Jared Morrissey with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms, and we're about to answer your questions, which you send in via Slack and Facebook and Twitter. We always appreciate it when you send these in. So let's go with Brandon's question first, Ryan, and I'll send this one over to you. He says, would a team full of pro ball Hoosiers have a shot at winning the depleted NBA Eastern Conference? And when I just went through and did this quickly, to me, the starting lineup would be Victor and Eric Gordon in the backcourt, OG and Noah probably as the forwards, but then Cody Zeller at center, and then you've got a bench of Yogi, Thomas Bryant, Troy Williams, uh, and then I suppose you would also then want to put some of the guys who are in summer league like Christian Watford, James Blackman Jr., and Robert Johnson on there. Um, I don't think I left anybody out. Number one, it's nice that Indiana can just fill out a roster with pro guys, so that's a positive. Um, how good would that squad be in the depleted Eastern Conference? I mean, in the Eastern Conference, that's probably like a five seed. 
<laughs> unfortunately, I, I mean, that's the sad part. Uh, not that those guys aren't great, but, you know, there's no superstar there other than Victor. And uh, Eric Gordon is a, you know, he's a sixth man. I think OG is a good player. Noah Vonley, who knows, because he really doesn't play that much. And then Cody, I think he needs to change the scenery. But that's a nice second unit with Yogi and Thomas there, I think. Uh, but with how bad the Eastern Conference is, yeah, Fissied. Uh, I, I still think Boston or Philadelphia is coming out, or maybe Toronto, but probably Boston or Philadelphia is coming out of the East. So I don't think they'd actually win the East. But yeah, why not go the fifth seed, roll the dice, see what happens. Okay, I like it. Uh, okay, let's go with this question, Andy. This is from Jeff, and it's similar to a question that we took last week, but has a different spin on it. So Jeff says, super teams seem to be the big trend in the NBA. If you could take one or two players from other Big Ten rosters to make an IUBB super team, who would you take? Uh, the clear obvious answers here are uh, either Carson Edwards or Cassius Winston at point guard. And then, of course, you take Ethan Happ um, as center. No, just, no, you don't. <laughs> just to watch the show burn, as it would if that happened. No. You, um, no. Okay, no. no. None of us would actually want to do that. Um, so, but who would you take? I mean, for me, I think it would be... I guess if you say you're going to take two, you'd probably take one one guard and one, you know, one forward. I guess I would, I guess I would probably take Edwards. Although I think that, uh, although you, your reasoning before was that it would hurt Purdue, which I guess is not the reasoning that I would use, but it 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 helps. It's a nice bonus. <laughs> it is a nice bonus. I like that. Um, and then, I guess if you're looking at more of a, a front court type guy, um, you know James Palmer, I think is a, a wing, um, but it's another you know scorer. Maybe you just take Jordan Murphy from Minnesota, a guy that's going to go out and get a whole bunch of rebounds and probably frees up Juwan a little bit from doing some of the dirty work inside. So I guess I would lean that way initially. I would not, I would not go for Ethan Happ out of, out of never, never Ethan Happ. <laughs> never. Um, all right. Here's one for you, Ryan. What is the ceiling for the team? If Juwan and Romeo play to reasonable expectations, but Devante and Justin Smith exceed reasonable expectations. Um, I, I think it's probably about the same. I think that, that, Devonte and Justin will be great, but they're even even better than we expect them to be. I think this team's probably uh, the high ceiling. I mean, if you're talking ceiling, the ceiling is Final Four, I think, and I think that's a ceiling, regardless of what Devonte and Justin do. I think that's a ceiling based on the rest of the roster. Uh, certainly, that helps if you can get guys like Devonte and Justin exceeding expectations. But I think it remains about the same. I think that this team could make a run to the Final Four if everybody hits on all cylinders and uh, even exceeds a little bit uh, uh, above where we think they can go. Uh, but I think this team is going to be heavy on Juwan and Romeo. And what those guys do is going to determine how far this team goes. Everybody else will help. Everybody else will contribute. But those two guys are the key. And they're going to be the, the engine that drives this thing. Well, Jack asked us, do you think the team as a whole has what it needs to be in, say, the Elite Eight? And I think we all agree. Like, there are the pieces here. Given the right draw, I mean, number one, make the NCAA tournament for the first time in two years, three years. But given the right draw, there's talent there. And there's depth yeah. there that if the pieces fall in place, sure, they could make the Elite Eight. But And I, I know they have the high ceiling of having a Romeo and a guy who can take over a game offensively. But this also, I think people need to realize what Archie's building and realize, hey, you know what? This team may actually be better in two years than it is this coming year because of the guys who are going to be coming back and, and the development of those guys. And while Romeo may be a one and done, and you think, oh, God, you know, you got to make your run while you have that five star guy. That's not the way the NCAA is working as much th these days. And teams with experience are the ones making runs to the finals and championships. So I think this th th while I expect them to be very good this year. This is the kind of thing where they're building something that could be better next year than it is this coming season. You know, and, yeah. and so I think that's what's exciting about where the program is. Isn't just that there's one good year coming up because we had that with Tom Crean. But what we feel like with this team is it's not only good now, but it's set up to be good consistently over the next few years. And I think that's what's exciting. And then when you add in those players, like we were talking with recruiting rankings earlier, when you were Jared, you add in those guys, then it just improves it every year as well. I was between coughs. Um, all right, this is from Alex. This is kind of a fun one. If the Hoosier Hysteria scrimmage was a game between all returning players and all new players, uh, including Race Thompson, who do you think would win? So, Andy, that would be Devontae Green, Al Durham, Zach McRoberts, Justin Smith, Juwan Morgan, Deron Davis, and Clifton Moore on one side against Robert Fennessey, Romeo Langford, Jerome Hunter, Race Thompson, Evan Fitzner, Demisey Anderson, and Jake Forrester on the other side. 
Who you got in that matchup? Well, I'm not sure Duran's able to actually contribute in this scenario. So, well, I, you know, we're we're suspending disbelief here. Well, I, I can't. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't we know. Do every week on the show, I, I will tell you. I will tell you this: just seeing Juwan in that video at the pool makes you feel like there's no way he's losing to any of these young guys at no. anything. He's like the uh, dad out there. He's not like yeah, he really was. He was just like yeah, kind of like holding people off and doing whatever. Um. <laughs> So I mean I guess I I find it hard to go against against a guy like him uh, in that scenario just given the uh, you know his kind of demeanor in that but it would be a pretty interesting it would be a pretty interesting showing I think if you if you had those interesting defensive matchups and uh, and things like that but I do think there's something to be said for the experience that those guys have even though some of them didn't play a ton of minutes I I would tend to take the take the vets in that case especially given how crazy simon scott assembly hall is going to be for hoosier hysteria give me the guys who have been there before rather yeah. than the guys who are going to be experiencing that for the first time i mean that's going to I be... take the returners i take yeah. the returners every time i, I would take the vets I, w- I would definitely take the vets i think too. the rookies would look it would be fun to watch the rookies but i think that if you're looking at the final score i think the vets are going to win it yeah um okay one last question here from david ryan this one's for you i'd like to know what people think about uh staying in the NCA for another year versus going to the G league. Always your play should stay in the NCA, not just Thomas Bryant, but many others. What do you think now about the options that players have Ryan and what they should do? I think it all depends on how much they like school. I, I truly do think it's an individual decision because you know what? You can sign a two way contract now where you can come up and down from, from the G league. You know, it's, it used to be you're in the G league uh, unless you were under contract with a big team and get sent down. If you're in the G league and you get brought up, you have like a 10 day contract and then you got to get cut and go somewhere, you know, so now there's the ability to sign a two-way contract where you can come up and down. Uh, Thomas Bryant had a, had a, uh, had a professional deal last year, but he was up and down a lot, which I thought was great. Um, I will say that I think that people don't watch the G league. It is actually entertaining basketball and it's becoming a fun league to watch. And I think people should tune in, not just when Indiana players are playing, you see a lot of guys who thought, you know, you're like, oh, I remember that guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's fun. So I think there are more options available to kids. I think it just it all is going to depend on personal preference. All right. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Rocket Pro Insight makes it easy for real estate agents to help clients strengthen their offers with a verified approval, giving you the power to adjust the approval letter amount. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate. Offer terms and details. Equal housing lender. License in 50 states. NLS number 33. Verified approval. Leave out on certain 30-year purchase transactions.